this crazy world we live in, when people use the word geek, it can create certain impressions. In reality, geek culture has never been more mainstream. Let's learn about the real people behind the stereotype. I'm your super dummy Paul. This is Geek. I'm Scott Weatherly. Uh, I am a podcaster and uh, in my spare time, I've uh, got a YouTube channel as well. All of that links back to uh, my initial podcast, uh, 20th Century Geek. Started in 2017 and around the idea of history and pop culture in the 20th century. I think you know we're quite aware that everything that we take for granted today, uh, all this pop culture or geek culture, really birthed in the 20th century. Um, this stuff, slight stuff before that, but real geek culture birth in the 20th century. So the podcast was really this sort of way for me to go back and look at stuff that I love, um, but also like more obscure stuff. So go back and look at the little corners of geekdom and, and pop culture that I don't really get a chance to look at. Uh, that's been going since 2017, and now I've started a secondary podcast um, with uh, with good friend uh, Julian Darius, Doctor Julian Darius. Um, um, that is uh, Stories Out of Time and Space, which um, came about because uh, Julian joined me on several uh, episodes of 20th Century Geek, came on to talk about The Killing Joke initially because he had written a book on it, and then he came on to talk about uh, Terry Gilliam. Uh, Flash Gordon, actually. was a Flash. We did Flash Gordon, the, the, the 1980s Flash Gordon, and then we talked about Terry Gilliam, and we, were talk- we just kept talking talking, and we were like... Yeah, I kept thinking we should really do something with this because these are really good. These good, these episodes are fantastic, and uh, so I just pr- put it out and said, "Look, you know, how do you fancy doing a podcast?" We'd sort of, you know, been in contact and sort of been talking, and formed a friendship, and so I said, "How about we do one about sci-fi films?" And uh, we're now starting our third season, uh, and we've done again all kinds of things. Like we both throw in, uh, we do twelve episodes. Uh, so I I throw up t- uh, t- six potential films he puts in six films and then we we watch them and and talk about them and it's worked out really well um i put in i try to look intellectual and put in certain films i think we can talk about but unfortunately my sort of like nerd dumb takes over and i'm like oh i want to talk about demolition man and uh you know and then he comes in and says well i want to talk about solaris not the george clooney one the russian one from 1976 (laughs) So I'm like, all right, I'll watch a three-hour Russian film about a man in space. Um, and it was worth it, to be fair. It was a great – it's actually not a bad film. It was a great discussion. So that's gone really well. So, yeah, that's who I am. I, I started – I was an avid and still am an avid podcast listener. Um, and I love podcasts. I, th- I think, you know, I think it's one of the I – think, I think podcasting and I think YouTube as well has opened up this sort of content creation and this medium of discussion and engagement about things all topics that i think is so um so open source and so wonderful you know the gatekeeping's gone now you know there's when i was a kid it was oh man i wish i could do a tv show i wish i could do this wish I could do that do it just do it now like i say you know that's that's gonna be the theme of the show just do it and it was it was a case of i was listening to people like kevin smith and um I think like other sort of podcasts, there's a, there's a great one called Now Playing, which is a film review podcast I've been listening to for years, and they're really good. And again, I, just, I was saying to my wife Alex, I was like, oh, I really, you know, this is 
I love this podcasting stuff. It's really good. And eventually she was just like, oh, how do you do it? And I was like, I don't really know. And but I was like, oh, I'm, good point. I'll do it, you know. Um, and it's just me. I've got friends. There was a, there's a, a friend of mine, Mike uh, Kennedy, who's been on the show a number of times. But he's never sort of, he's never regular enough to have been on it enough. So it was just me. But because it's just me, I was able to think, well, what would I want to do? I want to cover whatever the hell I want. You know, you you, you see um, true crime podcasts or film review podcasts or, you know, the current news pop culture podcasts. And there's so many of them and they're all fantastic in, in their own different way. But I'm not, I'm not disciplined enough to stick to a single topic. Yes, you know, stories out of time and space is one thing because that's me and, and Julian talking. But twentieth century geek is literally me just saying like, "Fool, do you know what? I'm, at the moment, I'm really interested in, and I'm going to go off and I'll do a podcast about it." So, you know, I, I, I'm literally going to post tomorrow. We're recording this on a Tuesday. I'm going to post tomorrow um, my discussion podcast on The Exorcist. It's fifty years of The Exorcist. Um, and then before the other week, I did one about Swamp Thing. And then in a couple of weeks, I've got one about um, Vincent Price, you know. And then in June, I'm doing one about short stories, and I'm doing this and other stuff. And so it's literally like you know, I'm I'm intrigued by. I'm going to go have a look at, and then I can do a podcast about it. Um, and so it does all kinds of things. So it, it just allows me to sort of explore things. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's unfortunately been the sort of story of my life. That's why I didn't do. I did all right at school. But it was always like, you know, well, yeah, I get what you're teaching me. It's boring. I want to go look at the thing over there because that seems more interesting to me. Um, and now I can do that with the podcast and, and hopefully people will listen. There's two kinds in this thing. You know, and if I got paid to do what I do on the podcast, like, you know, that is the true dream. But I think there's a, there's a thing that you, you see the podcasts that are doing really well. And there's some, in fact, there's some incredibly professional podcasts, um, uh, independent or amateur podcasts that are just incredibly well done. The, you know, the, the, um, the content is there, the um, editing and the, the, the sort of the audio and the technical and all that is in place. And it, it, they, they're really good. And so a lot of those will stand up and they, you know, they get their head above the parapet and they get spotted and they do really well. Um. And, you know, I've tried to do things. I think the, the thing is, and I've had feed, feedback I, about 18 months ago. I put a thing out to get some feedback just from general listeners in different ways. And I got quite a bit. And there were people that came back and did say, oh, I said, you know, I've, li- I've tried to listen to your podcast, but it's too, your your topics are too sporadic. You're too sort of, you know, all over the place with what you're talking about. But then others were coming back and saying, like, no, I love that because it means, you know, you are introducing me to so many different things, whether it be films or, you know, comics or books or, you know, all kinds of TV shows. Um, and so I was like, yeah, yeah that's what I want to do. So, yeah, I'll stick to it then. If it, you know, At least there's people that seem to be listening. So, again, like my listening habits for podcasts is so different. I, I do listen to sort of – at the moment, I'm going through a bit of a um, – how to describe it esoteric kind of sort of like you know podcasts like stuff about sort of like not so much paranormal but like uh there's a there's a a podcast called weird studies and it's more about this idea of just like questioning uh it's like it's a philosophy they call it an art and philosophy podcast it sort of starts at that but it's always about this idea of like questioning um different ways of questioning your reality and then they'll they'll pull in like philosophy and they pull in all these different sort of things 
and it's sort of um I have to be sort of ready for it at times. Like I've listened to it when I'm walking the dog and I'm like, I can't listen to this right now. Like they're really sort of challenging my brain. I have to, sw- you know, I have to be doing this at a different time. Um, they had one recently where they were talking about the idea of, um, uh, there were two episodes that I had, literally had to stop and I came back and had to uh, think about them. There's one called about hyperstition, which is about this idea that through the, the idea of thought process and about through sort of group think you can bring something into reality uh, and how that sort of you know certain groups believe this and how it's sort of it's manifested through social media and other things in modern um uh you know in, in modern day but people alistair crowley believed in this like you know 100, 100 years ago and even before and so that really sort of like oh my god that's that's really cool and then they sort of threw in um uh, what's it called uh, simulation theory was another one they sort of touched on uh, and this idea that we don't actually exist, we're all actually sort of like, you know, part of a greater simulation for somebody else. And that just blew my brain. I was like, oh, that's it. No, I, can't. <laughs> I cannot be walking through a wood, walking the dog, while I'm thinking about the fact that I may not exist. My my, uh, <laughs> my, my ego and uh, my, <laughs> I, uh, my ego, my mind can't cope with that right now. Um, so, I'll, yeah, I'll go back to one of my other podcasts, listen to something else for a little bit. Geekdom's a big part of who I am. Um, you know, I think it's a big part. Of, but you you invest in these. But outside of that, yeah, I've got you know, got got the the family. So got, um, my wife Alex um, coming up to our tenth anniversary this year, um, and we've got a little little girl uh, Ellie who's eight, uh, and, and our dog Sky. Uh, and so you have you know, yes, yeah, so I've got this sort of like this life outside, of, which is bizarre because again, sort of, um, you say about outside of geekdom. But it's more outside of like you know, this fandom. I've got my specific fandom and stuff. But um, life with those is just normal. Like you know, you have your everyday sort of like uh, uh, concerns and qualms, and, and we do this. We've got you know, you got to pay the bills, so we're going to the job in the moment. But then I sort of like you know, uh, my wife has her sort of like fandom. She's not a geek in any by any stretch. Like she'll watch certain certain things, but like Alex has got her own hobbies and interests, and you know that's where we sort of overlap. She's very much into like personality theory. Um, and you know, I love to have those sort of discussions. Again, it sort of goes into this thing of me dabbling in them and a number of things where I'm like, oh, fingering that pie, that sounds interesting. Um, and you know, especially there's one called the MBTI um, theory, which uh, um, created by a mother and daughter combo Myers Briggs. And uh, for anyone listening that knows what it is, I'm an ENTP, which is an extroverted, intuitive, thinking, perceiving, um, which basically means I'm a loudmouth who thinks he's right all the time. That's pretty much what it comes down to. Um, which is true, I am right most of the time. Um, just don't tell Alex that I think that. Um, but yeah, that, so that that's sort of like so you know we we have a great relationship in that way that you know we can explore these ideas and we have these discussions. But then there's also the time we just kick back and we watch sort of like Netflix and just sort of like, you know um, watch way too many episodes. You're like looking at you watching. You're like, oh, can we watch one more episode of this thing before we have to drag ourselves off to bed? Um, but Ellie, my daughter, is is, is interesting. I, I tried. On a number of occasions to introduce her to um, different elements of geekdom. So you know, there's like the superhero um, girls cartoons, and there's been other bits and pieces and that sort of thing. She's never really been interested. Um, and again, like she's got very much her own her own thing. But it's nice. I love seeing her interests grow. And so she starts off, and she seems to have like a real fantasy bent, which is quite cool. Um, you know, she loves like My Little Ponies, and she's big into dragons at the moment. That's what the How to Train Your Dragon is her favorite fil- set of films at the moment. And uh, 
again, sort of like trying to lead her through these things um, is quite interesting because through lockdown, and we, you know, obviously we've we've all gone through this worldwide. We've gone through this experience now of lockdown and being trapped at home. And you know, I um, I don't lament my situation. I think you know I'm quite lucky in many respects. I live in an, I live in a lovely place. I love where I live. I've got a you know a nice of home. There's only three of us. I've got one kid, so it's not so hard to do homeschooling with one compared to other people who have got like two, three kids or like, you know, stuck in a flat and all these other situations. So it's been not been so bad, but also like to see her sort of develop and, and sort of evolve her interests. And she started to write. And so these stories are now coming out of her as well. And she's telling these stories and her own humour and stuff. So every now and then I'll sort of drop things in. I'm, I'm really tempted to try her on Terry Pratchett. Uh, there's, a, there's a book called Guards Guards, which has got dragons in. So I'm a bit like, I'm like oh, that's a bit of a, that's a bit of a, there's a Venn diagram there. <laughs> I think I can try and slot that into. Is she too young? She's only eight, but you know, it's, it's that sort of, uh, you know, regardless of that, we'll see what happens. Um, yeah, but that's 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 what the home life. You know, I live I live in a, in a relatively small village in the, in the middle of the, the national forest, which sounds really idyllic when you say it, but it's not. You know, this is this is Britain. I don't live in the the, the home counties. Um, I am lucky enough that I can step out my door and go for a walk, you know, take the dog or the family for a walk. And I can, well, literally I, I can walk out my back and I'm into a farmer's fields and there's, you know, we can just, the dog can run around and throw the ball and country lanes and all that sort of stuff. So I'm really lucky um, where I live. So that's, that's been a, a big part of, of, of the lockdown, you know? So again, I know people that live in the in cities where they're like, yeah, I can barely leave my house. And I'm like, I can walk for four or five miles and not see anyone. <laughs> it's It's been quite cool. Um, but in the same thing, I, 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 I've i also had to work from home, which forms bad habits. Um, but, you know, um, I work from home. I'm a project manager <clears throat> working for Barrett Homes, uh, mostly in sort of IT deployment. And, um, it, you know, uh, it's... Working working remotely and working digitally is a whole different ball game because uh, as a project manager, you know, so you have uh, the thing you've got to deliver, the the stakeholders you've got to speak to, and you've got all those restrictions of you know uh, build time and budget and duds and time, all this other stuff. And so before lockdown, pre-COVID, my life was very much sort of like meetings, but also like running around and talking to people on the phone sort of like you know you're happy with this we've got this problem how do we fix this what are you doing how are you doing this and just being on people's back and then you know checking against the plan right we've got i've got to have this done in a week are you gonna have it done in a week no we're not right well why not how can i help you what's gonna happen you know just constantly trying to keep the cogs moving of this stuff and so i'd be all over the place doing it remotely like i'm sat here with headphones on now talking to a microphone and that's pretty much what my date is now, where I'm sort of like, you know, I'm calling people up or I'm I'm on chat or I'm on something else. I'm sort of doing the same thing. But the problem is, um, I find it interesting. I'm a big guy. I'm I'm you know, I'm six foot and I'm 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 uh, I wouldn't say I'm uh, put it this way, you know, I'm rotund. Let's put it there, I'm Rubenesque. I'm uh, I'm curvaceous. Um I think the Americans call it thick. Um and uh, so I can sort of stand over someone and it's hard to ignore me, basically. I'll be like, you know, what are you, what are you doing? What, what's going on with work? Um, when you're doing it remotely, you keep, you're looking to see if they're available and you're calling them up and they're just bleeding, ignoring me. <laughs> I can't get the sod on the phone. 
and you end up calling to other people. You're like, can you, can you give you know, can you give Dave a nudge to come and give me a call back, please? I really need to talk to him about this thing. So it's had its own challenges. Um, but again, because of, because uh, of where I live, I've had a I've got a home office. So I've been able to sort of sit in that. I feel like I'm sort of just pimping myself here, but like I've got, I've got we've managed to turn the spare room into an office. But then that also meant that I have all my books behind me. You can sort of just see them over my shoulder. Uh, and if if anyone's ever watched, we did we sort of did a video version of stories at a time and space. And often you can see just behind me the sort of all my books and all this other stuff. And so there will be times I'll be on like a workshop or I'll be on a meeting or something that's you know, lasting an hour or more. And I'm not the focus of it. I'm not facilitated. I'm just paying attention that my mind wanders. And I'm like, do you know what? I, I haven't read Grant Morrison's JLA for quite some time. I should probably get that down and have a look at that. <laughs> and then all of a sudden someone's asking me a question. Like, Scott, do you agree with what we said? And I'm like, um, sorry, sorry. Could you repeat that? Uh, it, it crack. I lost a lot. Of, the broadband must be suffered. I didn't hear you. So you know, it swings and roundabouts. Really, I get to I get to use the uh, remote excuses as well. Um, but yeah, that that's sort of the life. I mean, predominantly, like I said that's the life. That's the job I have. Uh, you know, nine to five or eight thirty to five thirty most days. And um, it's uh, it's been an interesting one during lockdown in particular. But uh, yeah, outside of that, I mean, you know, it's. It's it's hard to describe yourself outside of your hobbies because you're sort of focusing so much. But uh, I, again, project management is is a big part of my life. Not that I like doing it. I sort of fell into it by accident. To be perfectly honest, <clears throat> I worked for um, Capita. Uh, if anyone's ever worked for them, it's sort of a contract company, they pick all kinds of different bits and pieces. And the contract they were working on was the London congestion charging, and it moved from Capita to NCP. It wasn't NCP car parking, but it was a branch of that, and. Um, the, the, the contract transfer hadn't gone well and uh, they hadn't shared data. And we turned up on the first day, you know, all right, here's what, where's what we're going to do? Where's the teams? What we've got to do? Systems don't work. Didn't have enough chairs. It was an absolute, absolute clusterfuck. And then um, over about the period of about six, seven weeks, I just kept inserting myself into problems to fix them because other people weren't. And they had these two contractor guys come in. And one of them kept saying, oh, he's an, he's an engineering BA. I didn't know what that was. So I was asking him, so what is it you're doing? Oh, I've got to gather the requirements. I've got to understand what the problem is, blah, blah, blah. Oh, okay. Well, I can tell you what the problem is because I've already had the conversations. <clears throat> and eventually I'll get, I'll go start getting pulled into these meetings to say, well, you know, Scott knows what he's talking about. Let's get him to review this stuff. You become like a subject matter expert. And then I remember start, like, having the conversation with Alex at the time and saying, like, I really think this is... I could do good here. I'm fixing things. I feel like I'm good about this. And so I went on a course and then I got, I, I was like, oh, oh, there's a role here. There's an actual job role. <laughs> Project management is this actual job. Um, and so I, 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 I sort of worked, I worked towards that. Uh, and that was like oh, 10 years ago now. Actually, no, it would be 11 years ago that's, that happened. Uh, that I ended up taking a role as a, as a, as a, as a junior PM, uh, project support. And uh, it sort of went from there. But um, you know, eleven years later, when you look at it, and you go, "Yeah, it's just it's like every job. It's it's not a, you know, it's, it's a slog. You know, things are still going to work, and you're still going to get done, things done, and you've got to do them as cheaply as possible, as fast as possible. And even at the end of it, the business isn't going to be completely happy with it. So, as I said, you know, I said before, I said, like, you know, I didn't, I, I paid attention to school, but my mind often wandered, um, and so I was always looking to be entertained, and so. The things I always landed on was something that was was going to interest me, and the, 
the two things I remember picking up as a kid that kicked me off on this journey was weirdly was the Beano and the Dandy, which like kids comics, um, been around since the thirties. They predate Superman. You know, everyone says, "Oh, that's the first comic." Well, no, actually, the Brits did it. The Scottish, I should say, did it first, actually. But there you go. Um, and so I, I, I picked those up um, as a kid. There was an annual I got every year, and I'd get the Beano and Danny. So I, I knew of comics, and I loved them. I thought they were fantastic. I think I still think they're a great entry point for kids. You know, it's this sort of short sequential art things. They're basically a joke told over a couple of pages. I mean, you know, to t- to tell them well is 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 good storytelling and the arts um, phenomenally well done sort of like, for, you know, in that humorous sort of um, cartoony way. Um, and so that sort of stopped me off on the, that journey. But the other one was that, I don't know if you've ever seen these choose your own adventure books. So it's sort of like you read a chapter and it says, uh, you know, you sort of say, so um, you'd be a knight and you get to a cave. And it's basically like, I think they were based off sort of Dungeons and Dragons, if I remember rightly, but it's basically you're a knight and you're in the cave. Do you do this or do you do this? If you choose the first one, go to page 30. If you choose the other one, go to page 62. And then you'd, you'd, you'd go and eventually it would lead you to the end of that story. And I loved those. I thought they were fantastic. I thought they were really, really cool. Um, and that sort of started me off where I was like, you know, I love read. I, I started to love reading through them and I loved comics through the Beano. And then you sort of reach a point where you go like, well, the Beano is good, but it's not, it's not scratching that itch anymore. You know, I need something different. And the same with the Choose Your Own Adventure books. I started to explore more. Um, and with the comics, I was sort of saved. I've, I've, I've told the story a few places and it's, uh, it's, it's, I, I remember quite vividly going on a during some holidays, being taken on a, a trip by my grandparents and being given a couple of quid to go into the shop and be like, you know, you're going to want a coach, we're going to go somewhere, and you need to entertain yourself. So go find a, a comic or a book, or, you know, like a magazine or something to entertain yourself with. Expecting fully to go in and buy um, a Dino or a, 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 Be- a Beano or a Dandy, or possibly even a Look-In. If anyone's old enough to remember Look-In, you know. You, you really sort of uh, no, no one listens to this is going to remember looking or even that obscure. <laughs> it was like a pop culture magazine from the eighties. Um, but I was shifting through the shelves and I saw this cover. It was bright orange, and there was a character on it like beating the crap out of these three other people. And he was clad in blue, and his helmet on, and these big shoulder pads. And I was like, "What the hell is this?" Pulls it off the shelf, likes it. It's black and white inked art inside of it this crazy landscape with like aliens and monsters and this dude on his this massive motorcycle just beating around people around the head with a club and i'm like why wow, this is awesome judge dread the complete uh, the complete judge dread issue seven if i remember right now because i've recently gone back to find out what it was and it, it, it was um tw- uh, 10 chapters of um an early story because this is what this was it was the reprinting of sort of the judge dread stories from 2000 ad and it was reprinting the sort of second half of uh, the Cursed Earth saga. Um, so I was being introduced to like, to like Brian Bolland and Mike, uh, Mike McMahon, McMahon art like from an early age. And I'm like, this is nuts. But I went up and bought it. And I remember my nan seeing it when I come out and I'm like, I've got this. And she was like, mm, not, I'm, not, I'm not sure your mum's going to be happy about this. I'm like, this is amazing. And I, I read that magazine. I read that comic to bits. Like it fell apart. Um, but I loved it, and it's it, you know it's it's 
it was phenomenal. It still is. I mean, the Cursed Earth and any those early Juice Dread stories is really good. But I went back to the to the, the shop and I was like, okay, I need to find more of this. I need I need more. There's my fix, you know. Sort of got the, the itch now. Chasing the dragon, um, and they didn't have. It was before the next issue came out. He said, oh, but the, the guy behind the counter. But I do have 2000 AD. And I was like, oh, hello, what's this? So it's got Juice Dread in. This is like 91, 92, this must have been. And it's got all this other stuff in. You know, so it's like, um, for those that don't know, 2000 AD is a British anthology, sci-fi sort of horror, fantasy anthology. It's been around since 1977. Um, and each issue is a selection, usually about five or six, eight-page stories in parts. So, you know, you'll get like part one through to whatever. And I sort of started in those early 90s. And so I was introduced to all these characters and so you've gone from like the Beano and Dandy with like, you know, the Bash Street kids and uh, Dennis the Menace and, you know, uh, Ivan the Terrible to Judge Dredd, Rogue Trooper, Slain. Um, you know, I, I've basically gone to like, <laughs> to these sort of like, this hard edge sci fi concept or fantasy concept. Um, and it was, a, it was a bit of a sort of a birth of fire where I'm like, oh, this is amazing. This is really good. And that was it for years then. I was, I was proper dedicated to 2000 AD. Um, and loved it. Absolutely loved it. It's still something I still dip into frequently. I'll go back and I'll start reading again for a little bit, and and then sort of might fall off a bit. But <clears throat> and the, the same sort of thing happened with the books. And um, I'd obviously read these other books at school, and then all of a sudden, I remember being handed by an aunt uh, a copy of Pet Cemetery, uh, Stephen King's Pet Cemetery. I must have been like eleven, and uh, she was like, you know, you might you might want to try this. And um, again, I, I, I tried to read it, and I, I struggled with it a bit. Um, I, I don't think I was quite ready for it, to be honest. Um, and so I kept, find, I found other books, and I just kept reading. And eventually, I think I read Pet Cemetery a couple of years later, and I was really into it. And again, I went through a Stephen King phase, as everybody does in their teens. And that's when I sort of stumbled across a whole bunch of other things. Like you know, um, I mentioned recently talking to Mike about how I sort of stumbled across sort of like Lovecraft when I was a teen, and um, you know, Dean Koontz and James Herbert and all these other sort of you know, these horror writers. And I was just like, that, that were the ones. I mean, if, if anything, when I when I couldn't get onto James uh, Stephen King, and this doesn't, this is no representation of their material, but I, I did land on James Herbert. So I couldn't read Pet Cemetery because it was like seven hundred pages thick, and I'm like, that sounds like a lot of work. But I could read James Herbert's The Rats, which is like two hundred pages and is just awesome. So, um. It was just this gradual thing where in the 90s, and that was it then. And then um, I found, as I got a bit older, and I, you know, I earned money from early first jobs, that sort of thing. I found Forbidden Planet, and that was like, you know, you walk into Forbidden Planet for the first time as a kid. And uh, it's like, you see it as a cliche, you know, you sort of like, oh, this halo moment of like, you know, what what is this? There's a place I can go, and these other people love the things I love. And then you just grind the shelves, and you're like, what's this? What's oh my god, that's amazing. And that's when I really got into like American comics. It took me a while to get to American comics. I'd read bits and pieces, you know, sort of, and I'd watched all the cartoons as a kid. Like the early 90s was replete with them. You had like the adventures of, you know, Batman the Animated Series, uh, the X Men, <clears throat> um, Spider Man, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I was well aware of all, all, all the. Um, all the American stuff, but it never really interested me, mainly because I was looking at the superhero stuff and going, yeah, it's good, I'm enjoying that. But it's not 
this it's not as violent as what I'm reading in 2000 AD. So do you know what? I think I'll stick with this for now. Um, so yeah, um, it's the same with films. I mean, I think um, I have a, a pretty atypical. Well, I say it's atypical. Is it common? I don't know. Well, I'm big into films, and again, sort of, it's one of those parts of geek culture, isn't it? It's sort of like you know, films are a big part of that. And um, be- before streaming, before um, uh, Blu-ray and all these other things, before Blockbuster, so we're going back a bit, or at least back back before local Blockbuster to me in Coventry, uh, 1980s Coventry, where I lived, 1980s Orsley Park, there was a book, sh- it was a de- uh, a video rental. There were two video rentals near me. And they both stank awful for some reason. I don't know why. They were just horrible to go in because they, they just absolutely stank. Um, but I did love going in them. And the one closest to us um, was was run by a guy called Dave. I always remember he was called Dave. May not have been. It's just in my head I have this memory of everyone calling him Dave. Um, <laughs> and going in there and renting things like Ghostbusters from when I was a kid, like I was obsessed with Ghostbusters, but then renting all the typical eighties films, you know, sort of like everything like Ghostbusters and Goonies, Back to the Future, Short Circuit, da, da, da. and then going into the nineties and just free, frequenting these shops, you know, every weekend after school, after school, because the thing was, well, it was opposite my primary school which was one thing. So even as a small child, I was like, oh, video show opens open. I'll, uh... All the other kids were going into the like going into the sweet shop. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll be there in a minute. I'm just going to go have a look in the video shop to see what's in there. Um, and then as I, was a, as I was a teenager coming back from school, my bus stop was right, again, was right outside this, um, right outside this video shop. So I'd, I'd pop in there. So I got, I got to know this guy in in a sort of like you know not in a weird way he was just like he recognized i would come in and, and the shop quite a lot and um if anyone's ever seen video cover art from the 80s um it's it's awesome you know it's one of those things where you think like if i could get like an a2 or like a big book of, of, of like, you know video cover art from the 80s i think that'd be phenomenal because they didn't have digital effects. They didn't have like, computerization. So there, there was so many painted covers. And especially in the horror section or the fantasy section, these sort of covers of like, I, I, there are films I still haven't seen that I recognize because of the covers. You know, these sort of like bizarre and, and grotesque covers that were created in the 80s. Absolutely brilliant painted covers. Um, and so he would start giving me posters. He's like, oh, I've got... Basically... He's like, oh, I've had to clear out. I've got these posters. Do you want them? So basically, if he said bin in them, I, I got them home. My mum and dad were like, oh, Jesus Christ, what, what, have you, what have you got now? But I had them all over my wall. First, there was the DC Comics News podcast. Then came the Spinner Rack. And now, the third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. I am the night. A story about the stories. A show celebrating Batman, the animated series. Week by week, episode by episode. Just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones. I am the night. Why, hello there. I'm Seth Singleton. And I'm here to tell you about Mad Pup. 
a Harley Quinn cast. Harley Quinn? Harley fucking Quinn? What have we learned from this crazy show? Making bat shark repellent relevant since 1966. Oh, look, Cougar. And we've gone completely off the rails. I hear the bat signal. Shut up and battle me, nuts. I definitely do not fuck that. In need of an adult-sized nemesis. Humans make good fertilizer. You can't fuck with Lois Lane. For fuck's sake. I'm a damn good cop. Lot of lasers. Mmm. Educational and informative. The DC Comics News Podcast Network presents Mad Love, the Harley Quinn cast. <laughs> Back to you, Seth. So, tell us your thoughts. We'd love to hear from everyone out there. Or not. That's really up to all of you. Fuckers. Picture this. Someone who knows nothing about comics. Someone who knows comics from movies, TV, and video games. A complete ultra comics nerd. You pick the character you want us to talk about. You send us the questions you want answered. You make the show. A podcast by fans. For fans. Making new fans. Superheroes. Or dummies. Part of the Comics in Motion Podcast Network. All work and no play makes for a dull way to live, don't you agree? Join me, Adam Ray, and a very special guest each week on the Hostile Takeover, where they and I discuss their favourite game, PC, console, board game or tabletop, whatever they decide, what we will talk about. Let gaming be the way forward. Working's too much. It's time for a Hostile Takeover, coming soon to a podcast feed near you. Hi, my name's Steve, and I'm here to tell you all about the DC Comics News Podcast. Every week, my friends and I sit down and discuss everything DC. Movies, TV and streaming, comic books, and everything in between. But don't just take my word for it. Here are a couple of our sponsors. Listen to the DC Comics News Podcast. It's audio justice. <laughs> no, no, no. It's audio chaos. These wackos are crazier than I am. Well, maybe you're both right. Whatever the case, you can find the DC Comics News Podcast on every podcast platform. Apple Podcasts. Google Play. Spotify. Stitcher. And everywhere else you find podcasts. So, um, can I go now? Let him go. He did everything you asked. <laughs> Hello, listeners. This is Tony Farina from DC Comics News and an occasional guest on Comics in Motion. I'm pleased to announce a new show called Indie Comics Spotlight. Each week, my guests and I will be taking a deep dive into a current title or a classic graphic novel from a publisher other than the big two. Consider this show the best of the rest. My hope is that we'll bring new readers to independent comics and give old readers a chance to share their thoughts. Join me each week in the Comics in Motion feed in your favorite podcast catcher. One of the mins I remember the most, I had a standee. I remember this standee. It was about three feet tall, big cardboard cutout thing it was, of the Gate 2. 
And what it was, it was a hand coming out the floor. It's a big, like, monstrous hand coming out the ground. And I had it in the corner of my room for years. For about two or three years, this thing lived in the corner of my room. And my mum hated it, absolutely hated it. But it was awesome. It was absolutely awesome. Um, and so, yeah, that's that was sort of my... I, I, I would, I would fr- frequent this video shop and rent these films. But also, like, I was... I still am. I love art. And I was obsessed with these video covers. Like, you know, there's, I don't think we get it anymore um, because of streaming and all this other stuff. I think poster art is crap. I think the majority of poster art this day, these days is absolute garbage. You know, I miss the Drew Struzan years. You know, this guy, you know, um, there's certain people you go that, you know, that sort of molded your childhood. And so, like, you know, like um, was it John Williams music, you know, basically molded my childhood. John Williams sort of musical scores molded my childhood. Steven Spielberg molded my childhood. Drew Struzan's posters molded my childhood. Like this guy did everything. All, all those eighties films that, you know, this guy did a poster for them and all the Indiana Jones stuff. I think, you know, sort of back to the future, the, that, that, those famous po- pictures of Marty stepping out of the, the DeLorean. All that's Drew Struzan, Goonies, Drew Struzan, E.T., like, you know, all these famous, famous... So you he's a name you've people listening to may not have heard of, but, like, seriously, go check out Drew Struzan and the art. He's an absolute... Um, I think he may have even did, like, the Police Academy ones as well, you know, the, sort of the group ones they did of, of all the characters. So, yeah, I, I, it just sort of... Yeah, these things sort of just creep up on you as a kid, and then all of a sudden I'm like, oh no, it's just part of my life, and I love it, and I'm going to keep exploring this stuff. Um, and and you know, weirdly, I think that's part of the the, the thing with the 20th Century Geek uh, podcast. Very much is about nostalgia. Um, not that I look or cherish the past. It's not like I constantly look back. I, I happily look forward, and I'm you know I'm always excited about new things. But I also think it's important to look back and go, don't forget how good things were. Like, don't just crap on everything. Oh, it's, you know, it's old. It's old. One of the things that you know, I hate when people are like, don't watch black and white films. Why? Because they're old. You don't. Yeah, but there's some really good ones. Like, you know, let's go back and have a look at these really good black and white films. Um, and I, I recently I actually got really I got really annoyed because it was uh, um, you see people um what was it, the Zack Snyder's Justice League. And then he released sort of like the grey version. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, no, yeah. When things things are classy when they're in black and white. And you go, have, have you watched, have you gone back and watched Psycho? Or have, have you gone back and watched Citizen Kane? Have you watched these major black and white? No, I don't, I don't watch black and white films. But you, you've just said you're going to sit through a four-hour black and white, you know, Zack Snyder's Justice League. Go back and watch a good film. Um, that'll have set people off. Um so yeah, I, I do think it's important. To, I do, I do think it's important to go back and um, you know to understand where these things have come from. So that there, that's sort of my that rambling sort of story is my secret origin for all those kinds of things. What do you think was it about that world as a kid in Coventry that sort of grabbed you? Obviously, like being that young and suddenly been thrown into Judge Dredd, that's it's quite hard to ignore. But what do you think was it about all of that that kept you involved? I think it's because um, I don't. I don't think it was just being Coventry. I think it's just a, it's a tip, uh, you know, typical thing of being sort of a kid in 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 the real world. You know, it's it's let's be fair, it's pretty dull 
for the most part. Like, you know, you you may watch all these TV shows where school is fascinating, you know, sort of like we don't live in Beverly Hills 90210 or Saved by the Bell. I'm going to keep with the with the with the uh, the 80s and 90s references. Um, we don't go to any of those schools. You know, hell, I didn't even go to Grange Hill. Like, you know, my school was really boring. Um, and so, like, and, and and don't forget as well, this this was sort of like pre big game consoles. You know, like my my first game um, platform was a Spectrum ZX Spectrum. I had I don't know what the what the eight bit you know whatever it was two bit Christ it was rubbish. Um, the first game, you know, for anybody out there that's listening, it's the first computer game I ever played. People talk about Pong and all these other songs. It was called Jet Set Willy. Um, and it was a game where it had a big fat joystick on the ZX Spectrum, big fat spect- uh, joystick. And you were this little character called Willy, and you had to go around the house collecting gold things to appease your wife because you, you wouldn't allow you to go to bed because you'd broken things. Like, bizarre game. And then if you went around the house, there was, like, flying feet that would come up and down and squish you and all that sort of stuff. It was a really bizarre game. But I, I remember playing that loads. Um, and so, like you say, you know, this isn't like where you... Now I look at games and I'm like, that's incredible. You know, that I can see why people play the PlayStation 4 and all this other stuff and get really invested in these games. So I think they look phenomenal. So for me, that was that was my world. So, you know, I didn't have the gaming world and that sort of thing. So for me, this... this um, uh, release or this this portal into another world that sort of like you know just fascinated me it was was in particular was was 2000 AD because it was a variety because because you know you may have noticed that my attention pings off to so many of the different things 2000 AD was perfect I'm like oh I'm eight eight pages and I'm done next story you know and each one was different um, so you'd have sort of like you may have I don't know. Um, a hard-hitting dread story, like, or you know, like a bit or a big dread epic or something, or even like a strange comedy story. But then I'll get onto like a book by Pat Mills, and it's got like some political allegory sort of going on with like Nemesis the Warlock or Finn or something like that. And then I'll move across to like you know Road Trooper or um, early. Another thing is early sort of Grant Morrison and Mark Millar and these other sort of popping up in these books and sort of you go so. It, to me, that was my exit point. That's what it kept me interested because it was like every week it was like, oh, someone new coming on. It's, you know, it's this, this this thing is is fascinating. Um, and also the thing is, I wasn't into one of the things. It was, it was a real, I won't say it was an issue for them, but I think it was a disappointment in my parents when I was a when I was a small kid before secondary school. So at, at primary school, I wasn't into sports. Couldn't play for toffee. Like I am terrible at football. Have no interest in it whatsoever. Um. And and so there was my dad would try. He'd take me down to the, like the local sports club, you know. Like I'd go, go join your friends and play football. And I'd be like, oh, it's cold, isn't it? It's wet. <laughs> I don't I don't want to. And I wasn't good at it. Like you know, he, I, he made me try and play. I tried to play football, cricket, uh, tennis, all of it. None of it worked. Um, and so each time I was coming back, and I was like, no, I want to go read this comic, or I want to go read this book, or I want to watch this film, and this other stuff. And the, the, Around this time, just more stuff kept hitting me. I think I just hit a bit of a crest at sort of towards the late 80s, early 90s. But about 89 to 92 is this period where I just sort of hit my stride of like sci-fi and fantasy and those other things. And it just it just kept coming. I mean, around this era as well, I had I found um I was introduced to Red Dwarf, um, British um science fiction comedy of you know, these group of four people 
uh, I say people, one human, uh, an evolved cat, a dead, a hologram of a dead person, and a robot uh, trapped in, in deep space, three million years into deep space. And uh, again, I'm like, what's this? This is bizarre. And I, I you know, I, I was, I was sort of fascinated by Red Dwarf. And so it, it, it baffled my parents a little bit because they were like, well, what, what, don't you want to do these things? These things that like, we expect boys to do. And I was like, no, not really. I'd rather just do this. Like I went to Scouts and I went to Cubs, you know, that kind of jazz. And I was all right at it, but I always wanted to be doing, you know, something something related to more to these things, these creative outputs, uh, which probably explains the weight problems, really, because I'm more like, now I'm going to sit my lardy ass down and, and read a book rather than go out and play football. Um, but that that was the thing. It was, it, you know, it wasn't until, um, I mean, when I went to, Secondary school, I found rugby, and that's when I sort of hit my stride in that sort of path. But um, no, it was just this exit. I think the other thing is, I think you, you you have families that pass these things down. You know, you hear these things of generational things where you say, "Look, oh, I've, I, I, um, I, in fact, I recently did a series of podcasts talking to people about a similar thing, uh, creatives talking about their how they got into things." And I spoke to like Paul Cornell and and. Stephen Volk and a few others, and uh, Grady Hendricks, uh, and said to them, how did you get into this kind of stuff? And a lot of them are like, oh, I found a box full of my dad's old paperbacks. You know, so Paul Cornell was very much like, oh, yeah, my my older brother was very much into this Doctor Who when I read this stuff, and that sort of was his path. And I never had that. Like, you know, my dad is um, was into football and was very much sort of like into um his things very much since you know hand, he's a very handy guy he sort of does his bits and pieces and and so there was none of that to, for me i didn't have this creative outlet i think i got it more from my grandparents my uh, my granddad um one was very my dad's dad was very much like him he was very sort of like straightforward he was very much about doing handyman tasks and it was all about you know not being proper but it was he was more tactile more hands-on with this kind of stuff loving but not you know not really into that kind of stuff and but my other granddad, my mum's dad, was um, would you know wrote his own jokes, was a magician, did all this other stuff, and I'm like, well, that's 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 the stuff I'm a bit more like. That's weird. That's fun. That I you can do that. You don't have to be a professional. That's fantastic. Um, and so that was sort of like what tickled my brain. But to to, to know that you can go and do these things and read this stuff is what fascinated me really. Um, and so I had to sort of find my own path a little bit. Um, which is why I think I came to some of the stuff late, like quite late. You know, there's other stuff I came to like much later. But I'm like, yeah, you know, if I'd have had that guide, if I'd have had that sort of like the Obi Wan character teach, te- you know, teach me the things, I'd have been uh, probably a bit more introduced to things a little bit earlier. But um, yeah, it, it, I think it's just this idea of being in a different, being a, <clears throat> as you can see, I love variety. You know, I love the idea that people can choose a path and do these different things. Uh, and come at them in a different way um and and so that's what's always fascinated me to say like you know 2008 filled with different people's objectives or different people's stories but then the same with like books you know i can read all these different authors and they've all got a different thing this is one of the things i'm I'm so excited about in modern um creative world that we're in at the moment is um and it's a hugely valid point is we are getting so many new storytellers through you know, I'm um, a middle-aged white guy now. You know, my story has been told. I'm telling you my story, and I've kept saying it's pretty atypical. You know, it's pretty standard. 
So I want to see the stories that come out of these other people, out of men, you know, women, um, people in the LGBTQ community or whatever, you know, these trans people. Great. Let them tell a story. Let them get involved because I just want to hear their, I want to see their interpretation of this stuff because it's going to be fascinating. It's going to be good. They've got a story to tell. They've got a perspective to give. All of that is, that that's why we're in this community. <laughs> that's why we're in this stuff. You know, you science fiction is about, in particular, you know, or even horror, you know, they all work in allegory. You know, they're telling a story, but they're not telling the story you think they're telling in many cases. And so this is the perfect opportunity. So I love listening to, you know, stories from other people. Like, you know, yeah you know, what the vast majority of this stuff is probably from someone who was of my sort of in ethnic background. That's fine. So that's, and I like all that stuff, but then I'm now going to be in a place where I'm going, I really want to go out and read that comic because I've not read that story or from, the, from that perspective. I'll give it a go. Might be crap for me, but I'm still happy that it exists. Um, It's a bit like, you know, the, the, the best example is recently is, um, the Birds of Prey movie, the Harley Quinn Birds of Prey movie. Um, not for me, if I'm perfectly honest. Watched the trailer, instantly thought this is just this is going to rub me up the wrong way. But you know what? I'm really glad this. I'm really glad this exists because I'm so bored of all. This. I'm like you know, we've had all the other stuff. Go try this stuff. That's the thing that's exciting to me. It's like go try this stuff. It's a bit like you know. Um, like you know, the, 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 I, I understand why Black Panther was so successful, and I also think I understand why Shang Chi is going to be so successful because they're just doing something different. They're trying something new, and they're coming from a different perspective and a different sort of background. So that that's what that's what keeps me interested. That's what's what's in there for me is the opportunity to just keep dipping into different bits and pieces and like, oh, what's this? Oh, what's that? Do you think, outside of all these amazing people who sort of really appreciate the world, do you think people, when they find out that you're into all this sort of stuff, do they treat you differently because of a stereotype or otherwise? Oh, yeah. Yes, 100% you get treated differently. The, the irony is of this is, you know, they, they, for example, at work, like, you know, there'll be the ribbon and the jokes of, like, oh, yeah, Scott, he's the geek. Um, people celebrate certain things. Okay, so um, they'll have a good. For example, we'll have a team meeting, and I've got you know twelve, thirteen people. Me and my other people on my team and my boss, and they'll go around and be like, you know, okay, well, you you've had your week outside of work. What's been your success this week? You know, so that's the sort of cliched stuff that they'll do. And so you'll go around and people will be like, um, I you know they're they're massive into cycling. Oh, I went for a fifty mile bike ride at the weekend. It's, it's broken my record. And I'm really chuffed with it. Oh, well done. Then there'll be somebody else that's really into barbecuing or, you know, they've bought a new car or whatever. And it get around to me and I'll be sort of like, most recently I've been working with with, with um, Julian for Sequa, the, the organisation he runs, on a book for, about Judge Dredd. It's a collection of essays uh, about Judge Dredd. So I've been editing it. Uh, other people have contributed the essays. I've done one. And so that's been a real passion project for me for like the last sort of 12 months. And so on these team meetings, I'll be like, oh, yeah, and I'm really excited. I've got the last of the essays in. I've started to edit the first drafts. It's been a real success, this. 
And everyone's sort of like, oh, right, yeah, you're writing a book about Judge Dredd. You're writing your comic book. He's like, you've just cheered someone for cycling 20-odd miles. You know, that's it's great, but it's not producing anything. Like, I'm literally, I'm, I'm putting something out into the world. I'm putting something of myself into this. to put it into, And you're still going to sort of like, you know, there's going to be the, oh, he's the weird one. He's off again, isn't he? Um, none of them believe me, by the way, this thing was going to happen. They kept saying, oh, yeah, when's it going to be out? And then you show, then I showed them the cover, and I'm like, no, no, I've, you know, we've paid for this. I've had a professional artist do a cover. Oh, all right, so this this is real then. Yes, it's a book. One of, one of them even said to me, sort of, um, is it a real book? or No, is it, sorry, is it a digital book or is it a real book? I said, like, what, what do you mean, is it a real book? You know, is it a, is it a book we're going to be able to buy? I'm like, yes. What what else? What kind of other book do you think it would be? So there is. There's definitely this sort of notion of 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 do, you know, it's the weird hobby. Yet they've all bloody watched Game of Thrones. They all watched The Mandalorian. Do you know what I mean? It, it, there's, there's this weird thing of sort of like it's in the pop culture. There's the mainstream, which is like, oh yeah, we all watched, like I say, Game of Thrones or. Uh, Westworld or one of those, you know, that they're going to talk about. And you go, you you do know you're watching a sci-fi or a fantasy show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was really good. It's got dragons in it. And like, have you seen Willow? No, that's geek stuff. <sighs> it's got dragons in it. You know, it's sort of like, there's this weird sort of, there's this strange notion of sort of like, you know, what's accepted by mainstream culture to being... Except there's there's like a boundary, isn't there? There's, there's sort of like you get like these parameters that says within these parameters, geekdom is accepted within the mainstream. So, The Walking Dead, or you know, um, um, Game of Thrones, or you know, Westworld, mainly HBO shows, but like these big, you know, you get these American shows, or even stuff over here every now and then. You'll get something that everyone gets into. Everyone's sort of excited by. And it works with like the MCU is a really good example. You know, I don't know anyone that that will really sort of like shit on the MCU, um, but you sort of get the mainstream that go like, no, I'm really, I really like Captain America, or you know, I really like the the Avengers movies or whatever. And you go, ah, oh, great. And you get, then you sort of go like, oh, have you ever sort of thought about reading? Oh, I don't read comics. Comics are for kids. You know, but you've you've just watched a film. Um, You've just watched a film about a man who dressed as, dressed as a flag <laughs> and you tell me how much you enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, but comics are for kids. Right, all right. I can't, I can't get my head around this so much. Like, you know, and it is, there's this weird sort of acceptable thing of like, if it's movies and TV, I think is the thing, isn't it? It's like, if it's in that realm, it's almost acceptable because it becomes part of the standard culture. Um, Harry Potter's the same. Like, you know, you can say sort of like, you know, there's, there's, there's the Harry Potter is in sort of like the mainstream the Harry Potter world is like massively successful and wonderful. I'm glad it is. But Harry Potter is this weird thing of like, if you accept it, you can read the books and you can, you know, watch the films. And you go, oh, great. And then you get people that go like, you know, Oh yeah, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm in Gryffindor. And they're like nerd. And you go, Oh no, that's, that's Hufflepuff. You know, that's, <laughs> they're the nerds, not me. Um, but like you said, that's too far. There's, there's these parameters that once you start to go outside those parameters, people get a little bit uncomfortable. Um, and 
that's that's the thing i think there's this sort of like you know in that you, you sort of like you, you mentioned sort of before we started like you know at some point the you know this thing of geek will fall away it won't it will never fall away and the main because is these parameters they may shift a little bit and they have shifted in my lifetime because um you know that i mean these films and these tv shows didn't exist when i was a kid if i if i told people at school that i liked red dwarf even though they would have watched it as well, the fact that I wanted to talk about it would have got me that sort of you know, you know, shut up, nerd. You know, oh, fair enough. The first time I I noticed that the first the first time I noticed, I mean, you know, I'm sure this happened with other things, but for me, was uh, I noticed sort of like the, the cool kids or other regular, let's call them normal people. Uh, regular people talking about a sci-fi or sort of like a geek culture concept was the x-files um and again i can remember this where i started watching it and i was aware of it and, and sort of thing and then people in school were like oh yeah have you, have you been watching this tv show you know it's the x-files and i'm like yes i have i've been watching it since the beginning They're like, all right shut up um but it was this thing of like all of a sudden there was this thing that existed that people were willing to to, to talk about um but again there were still parameters there were still boundaries on that like yes you can talk about the show do you read the comic or, or the magazine that's published monthly yes i do do they want to know about that no they don't like, you know i read the tie-in novels and I, was, I was a massive x-files fan again there are there are boundaries and mike and i have had this conversation before about star wars you know sort of like he is a massive um Star Wars fan, like the the guy's like an encyclopedia of Star Wars knowledge, and so like you know he'll say like people will watch the films or you know the Mandalorian or you know that sort of thing, and so they'll and I'm a I'm a sod for this because I don't want him up. Oh, there's a bloody plot hole there. Look at that, and he'll be like, well, in this novel <laughs> or in this issue in this issue of the Star Wars comic, they address that, um, and I like to pick him up on that sort of stuff. And it's it's but it, but it's true. But for him, like you know that. The norm is much wider because he's like, no, it's an entire universe, and there's all this other stuff going on. There's games and books and blah 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 blah. But to most people, it's like, here's the films, maybe the games, you know, and that's the sort of thing um, that that sort of drives it. Uh, and I think games is another one. You know, the Batman, the Arkham games. I, I almost, I almost resent them a little bit. Um, and this is ridiculous, you know, because. But people would get on the bandwagon and be like, you know, yeah, sort of like if you if you if you've seen this, you know, this is the real Batman, and that's when they sort of justify him beating the shit out of people, and you go like, nah, it's not, <laughs> you know, oh, this Kevin Conroy, yeah, he isn't he the best Batman? Yeah, he was also the best Batman in nineteen ninety two when I was watching him as a kid, you know, sort of like, it's not that I'm not, it's not to say that I was there first, but it's this thing of sort of like. You know, this is the right now. The boundaries of normality within the geek culture in regular culture is, you know, the Arkham games and 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 these things, and you know the Batman movies. And you go, oh, okay, here. Do you know? Have you watched Mask of the Phantasm? <laughs> no. What's that? Oh, it's a film from nineteen ninety three. And they just look at you like blank, and you go, don't don't worry about it. <laughs> don't worry about it. It's a cartoon. Um. And, and and so I find that there is that you're you're always going to have that, and I've got no you know I've got no problem with that. Know those boundaries, understand those boundaries. But the fact of the matter is, if you love this stuff, whatever you do, like if you love this stuff, um, go outside those boundaries and go just you know just go.
fucking nuts to be part of a better phrase like go follow your passion you know um because one, one of the weirdest conversations i ever had this was on holiday years ago and I was, it was in greece and there was football on the telly and there was a guy there and uh he, he was he had the scarf fuck knows what team it was i don't care but he was he was getting excited about his team lago everywhere and he grabs me and starts dancing. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm drunk and what we, what we celebrating? And um, it was some football. You're gonna come, you're gonna you need to come, come on, mate, you need to come watch the football. No, I'm alright, thanks. I'm not I'm not interested. What you don't like football? Not really. No, I've got no interest in it. I'm, I'm happy, I'm going back, I'm gonna go back to the wherever it was. I remember saying something like, you know, oh, so how do you put it? Is it, it wasn't so much, are you gay? It was about, it was along those lines, you know, but oh, yeah, this was in the 90s, so it was, it was a slightly different time. You're a puffer kind of thing. And he's like, no, no, no. But the, and I remember sort of saying to him, I was like, no, 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 I'm going to read my book. <laughs> I think it was my response, which as a teenager is probably the worst thing you can say to people when you've had a few beers. No, I'm going to read my book. And I was actually reading The, 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 the Death and Life of Superman. They did a novelization of it. And I was reading that. Had the Superman emblem on the front with the with the blood dripping down it, and it, I remember him just looking at that and him saying, "Look at me." Then it was like, Ugh, "Weirdo," and it, I think that was like my first realization. I was just like, "Yeah, yeah, all right." I I think I, I think I am outside of this culture, but in my head, as I've grown up, I'm like, "You're you're the one that brought a football scarf with you on holiday to watch a football match at home." You know, and it's sort of like, how is that any different? Like, you are obsessed with something. Like, you know, it's it makes it's no. There is no. You you do you. You know, you love your passion. Fine, but to then look at somebody else and go, well, you're weird, and you go, well, no, it, it's it's I don't know. It's this bizarre mentality, and it comes down to the thing again. What's within the acceptable? It's the cool kids at the at the back of the bus, don't it? They they dictated the the when you're a kid, they dictated the boundaries. You know, sort of like we're the cool kids. We'll tell you what's cool and what's not cool. I was, I'll give you a hint. I was never on the back seat of the bus. Um, it's, it's, yeah. So I think geek, I think the geek boundaries will always exist. Um, and luckily, if, if you are lucky as we are, you will find a bunch of other wonderful people outside those boundaries that share your passions and enthusiasm and others. And they'll go, if you like this, you might like this and introduce you to a whole bunch of other stuff as well. So, it's not that it's a wilderness out there. If anything, it's probably more exciting outside those boundaries than it is inside the boundaries. So, of all of all the, the, the fandoms, you know, and, and by that I mean, if we were to group it against sports or whatever, you know, these are the things. I think geek culture has got the biggest diversity in so many different ways. That's not to say it's that's not to say it's perfect. It's 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 not. I mean, there is real toxic, vile uh, fandom out there as well, which makes it almost unbearable at times. But the thing I think they're missing out on some of these people is just the the variety of things. Do you know, like if you, the, it's it's the limitations that people put on themselves. You know, of saying sort of like, well, I'm going to read this or I'm going to watch this, but that's that's too weird for me. And you go, well, how do you know? Go try it. 
you know, n- n- if you think you're going to be judged for reading that book or for watching that film, like that, you know, it's it's especially now that things are so accessible. You know, if you want to go and watch this film, watch it in your own home, do your own thing, see if you like it. Like, you know, if you don't like it, switch it off, move to something else. But I think this is a weird limitation. And um, I like this, as I said before, these different perspectives. I'm so glad to see that representation is, is and it's it's creeping. I think that's the only way I can call it. It's creeping into this sort of thing, even in the, the outskirts representation is creeping into sort of fandom in, 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 you know, in fandom content. And I think that's good. And, so, you know, but it, there's so much more. And I think so to some people who go like, Oh, I, I, I like to read the odd horror book and you go, oh, okay, have you read, you know, and you go, oh, I like this author. You are oh, good. You should try this. And just to be open to those suggestions, I don't think a lot of people are. And to be up to, to be open to sort of like some really sort of like you know they're gonna we're gonna push your boundaries out a little bit you know sort of like oh you like um, you know those I, I read a lot of Stephen King brilliant good for you have you tried you know so here's another horror author you might like you know um, you know I'm not I'm not gonna try and push everybody to you know to H.P. Lovecraft or anything like that you know but like here's these other authors that you may like. I mean, you know, I'm thinking about sort of, um, yeah, Clive, you know, you know, people go, oh, I've read, I've really liked, I really like this. Right. Have you read the, uh, have you read early Clive Barker, you know, sort of, or have you read this? Have you read that? I wish people were just more open to this, or the opportunities that, that, that of trying some of this stuff. Um, and that's not so that they shouldn't experience their own passion, but like you say, you know, if they like the walking dead, Okay, have you have you have you watched the original Night of the Living Dead? You know, um, and if you don't, if that's too serious for you, whatever, have you have you seen Return of the Living Dead? That's awesome. You know, go and watch some other other things. Take my recommendations. Um, and it's not that I want to sit there and just recommend stuff to people, but you, I think the thing is, there are people that I have met that are just very sort of like anally retentive about what they want to spend their time doing. Um. And some of it's just sort of like, you know, people will say to me, like, yeah, I, I, I did, en- I really enjoyed that show. I really enjoyed Game of Thrones. Cool. Have you watched Lord of the Rings? Oh, no, I don't like that fantasy crap. And you're just like, eh? Like, you you clearly do. Go and watch it. Like, give it a try. It's not, it's not going to, it's not going to hurt you. I think that's the thing. It's just, you know, um, it's funny. Like, there's a comic for every, like I always say, there's a comic for everybody. <laughs> You know, like someone's going to, there is so much fantastically odd content out there that there is a comic for everybody. And that's not superhero comics. I'm not limited enough to that. But like, if you liked something, you know, like there is going to be a comic equivalent that I can recommend. Well, I probably couldn't recommend you everything, but you could go looking and find a comic that would like really sort of hit your, you know, hit that pitch for you, whether it be horror or. Doesn't even have to be sci-fi. The amount of like you know those sort of like Harry Crumb comics from the sort of the seventies and the eighties, or uh, what's on Strange Days. These ones that sort of follow like you know dr- almost a soap opera kind of things. Th- th- some of that's really good stuff. You know why not try these things? So I think it's just um, those boundaries blind people to the opportunities because it's fear of being seen as the weird one. I mean, it's it's that thing of like you know. Um, the cliche of sort of like you know hiding um 
you know, uh, something else, hiding a, a book inside another book. You know, I'm going to put I'm going to put a, a conservative sort of accepted book cover on the on the on this book, so everyone thinks I'm reading this instead of this. I'm I'm sat here. I've got all. I've got, yeah, let me show you. I've got my I've got my Harry Potter books here. You know, my bright red Harry Potter book. I've got no bloody qualms about reading that on the bus. Someone says to me, "You're you're a forty year old man. Why are you reading Harry Potter? It's fucking awesome, mate. That's why because I love it. <laughs> What's the problem?" I think that's that that's that's the concern. People people often worry about what other people are going to think, and I think I just wish people would let that fall away a bit. Life is too short. Like you know, you're going to get to the end of the life and go. Oh, I really wish I'd read this, or I really wish I'd watched that, or I really wish I'd done this. I mean, one of the things I've I've, I've thought about doing, and unfortunately, there's no effort to general here. Like you know, you see you see these people with sat on a broom playing Quidditch. Like they're not flying, but they're running around playing Quidditch and stuff. There's a part of me that's like, oh, I'm going to do that. You know, I'm <laughs> at some point in the next year or two, once once lockdown, once COVID's sort of done and dusted, I'm going to find myself a Quidditch match and I'm going to do it because it looks like a ton of fun. Um, and I've just not got around to it. But it's, you know, that's one of the things on my bucket list. So, like, yeah, why not? Do it. Go do these things. So, you know, lo- love doing what you do, but also be willing to go out and try new things, try more stuff. If you'd like to hear more from Scott, you can listen to his podcast, 20th Century Geek, or his other podcast with Dr. Darius, Stories Out of Time and Space. You can contact him on Twitter at 20th Century Geek, or find out more information at 20thcenturygeek.com. a super dummy production for fantastic universes find out more at fantasticuniverses.com and superdummy.co.uk slash geek you can contact the show on twitter at era of geek or by email geek at superdummy.co.uk you can support the show and fantastic universes by joining our patreon patreon.com slash fantastic universes